0: locked on Seahawks the daily Seattle Seahawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. It's officially divisional round weekend, and yeah, the Seahawks won't be playing it. It didn't make the postseason this year, but Nick, you and I were talking about it before we started recording this show that for whatever reason, there's just a lot of anticipation. There's some really great matchups coming up this weekend. So we're going to have a chance to discuss those four games here to kickstart Our show. Plus, we're going to answer your questions on our weekly mailbag and our first free agency Friday of the offseason. Going to have a little bit of a game looking at Seattle's 15 unrestricted free agents as we draw closer to the start of the new league year. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks, the Seahawks may not be playing this weekend, but... There are four very intriguing matchups in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. I think we've got to start in Tennessee and Nashville. The Titans, they just had a week off, the number one seed in the AFC. And King Henry is going to be back in action as are A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. The Titans are as close to full strength as they have been all season And then the visitors, the Cincinnati Bengals, they're as hot as any team in the NFL coming in with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, a very dynamic offense, Joe Mixon in the backfield. I cannot wait for this matchup. And I thought going into the season, Tennessee was going to be one of the final four teams, but I'm actually leaning towards the Bengals winning this football game, Nick, because Joe Burrow, to me, is the better quarterback in this matchup. And I think otherwise, these are pretty even teams.
1: Yeah, I mean each team has like a knockout punch. You got Derrick Henry on one side and you got uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on the other. It's gonna I think it's gonna be an electrifying football game. I think it's an under I think it's underrated as maybe one of the better games of, of the weekend. I know going into the weekend, we're all thinking about other matchups as far as you know, two star quarterbacks going at it or, or whatever is, is maybe the better games, but as far as the production and the entertainment value and maybe how close it comes down to the wire. And uh, just a change of leads. I think this game can be just about as entertaining as the others. Um, I'm leaning towards Titans just because of the, the health you mentioned, Derek Henry coming back. And since I think the loss of Derrick Henry forced them to evolve, and that evolution has truly turned them into a legit number one seed in the AFC. And, in fact, I've been following the NFL for, I'm 30 years old, you know, 20-something years now. And I got to say that the Titans might be one of the more disrespected number one seeds in the NFL playoffs I've ever seen. And you got to believe that at least some of the players and coaches for the Titans are, 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 are not buying in, but are reading that and using that as locker room material. I think this team is going to come out rested and motivated. That's a dangerous combo. I'm picking the Titans, but I do believe the Bengals have a puncher's chance. And it really is a punch because at any given moment, with the secondary of the Titans that they have some solid players, but they're, it's gettable that Burrow and Jamar Chase can just take the top off. And and, and all of a sudden a 17, you know, 17, 10 game. It's been a one they've Titans have held them at arm's length, the whole game. All it takes is one knockout punch by those two. And
0: it's a brand new ball game. It, it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I think there'd be a lot of years where this would be the matchup that I am most excited to watch, but then I don't even think it's the most exciting game on tap in the AFC this weekend. My game of the weekend, the Buffalo Bills hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes going up against Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen had the most impressive performance by a quarterback that I have ever seen last weekend against the Patriots. I mean, The Bills scored a touchdown every single drive until Mitch Trubisky came in and took a knee at the end of the game. And Josh Allen threw five touchdowns. No, by the way, it was single digits. It was freezing cold. And going into the game, one of the narratives was Josh Allen can't play in cold weather, and the stats bared that out, but he proved everybody wrong. I don't know what he changed going into this game, but you've got a red-hot Josh Allen going against a former MVP in Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs are flying high right now. They scored a bunch of points against the Pittsburgh Steelers last weekend. Scored like five touchdowns in like six minutes, it felt like, to put that game away. So two very explosive offenses. The Bills have the number one defense in the league. The Chiefs, since the second half started, have had one of the better defenses. So this is going to be a very fascinating matchup.
1: Corbin, this has instant
0: classic written all over it.
1: The the Bills are actually my pick to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. Um, I've been, well. I've been with that since that uh, you know, I, I just looked at the bracket. I looked at, at who, you know, matchups and stuff like that. And I just felt, you know, this could be the year and boy, and not only did Josh Allen, you know, do all that seven touchdown drives and, and going all the, he did that against Bill Belichick in single digit weather, just mind blowing stuff. Um, Peter Schrager, I, I watched good morning football a lot and, and, uh, on NFL network. And he said, he he called that the great the single greatest individual quarterback playoff performance he's ever seen, and I I don't disagree with that. Um, and the the question is with Josh Allen, can he repeat that? Because he while he's I think just as talented as Mahomes, is he just as consistent? I, I, that he has not shown that quite yet. He he can he can play at an MVP level at times, but can he maintain that? So that, I think that's the big question. I'm leaning bills cause I'm, I'm sticking with my pick that they're going to be the, the winners out of the AFC, um, but it's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be such a great game. And I'm leaning with num- the, I think where the game is going to be won or lost is Mahomes versus the number one ranked defense in the bills. And the bills have, I think two shutouts this year. You now they're a really, really solid defense. And, and earlier in the year, I know that the, it, it's, you know, analyze a rematch in the playoffs from a game early in the season at your own peril, but, Earlier in the year in October, when these two teams played, the Bills forced in Mahomes into having one of his worst games of the season. And I think they're going to try to use some of that same secret sauce. And I just not, I don't know I dunno. I just feel really I feel like this could be the Bills year, maybe not to win the Super Bowl and but unfortunately maybe lose a fifth. But I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a magical run. Because I think Josh
0: Allen is playing in a different stratosphere. right now. The NFC matchups are compelling, but for whatever reason, I'm just kind of tired of seeing the 49ers and the Packers play each other. It feels like they've been playing each other in the playoffs constantly. And San Francisco won the last matchup these two teams had a few years ago in the NFC title game, but that game was in the Bay Area. They're going to be playing at Lambeau this time. The Packers are fully rested. You want to talk about a team – that is going to be as healthy as they've been all season long. Packers are going to be getting some key players back for this game. Jair, Jair Alexander, their star cornerback, Zadarius Smith, who I don't think has played since like week two. Those guys are coming back. It's unprecedented. They're going to be, they could get David Bakhtiari back this week as well at left tackle. We're talking all pro and pull Bowl caliber players that have been out for large chunks of the season, and they're coming back for this playoff game. To a number one seed I think San Francisco will give them a tough game uh, but I think Green Bay has just got too much talent so I expect the Packers at home to advance to a third straight NFC championship game and get a little bit of revenge against the 49ers for beating them in the title game a couple years back and not only that
1: but Aaron Rodgers is 0-3 against the Niners in the playoffs and I think that he knows that he's, he's not an idiot although sometimes I think he is But that's just that's beside the point um, he's truly a, a smart you know, player in person, um, and I, I think that he's ready to, to exact revenge. I think that you got a, a San Francisco 49ers team that that had to play their butts off to make the playoffs, but they did so in some pretty comfortable environments, some domes you know, West Coast, California. We're talking Lambo, single digits, with, and you know that crowd, I think, has an extra juice when uh, when it's when the when the the frost comes off the breath and the ice is on the field and and i think that's going to play of beer packers. and cheese curds too. yes <laughs> lots of that um so I, I there's that mystique and maybe with the niners it's not so much cuz they they've they've played well against the packers but i think aaron rodgers is playing at a very high level he's hungry he he's he's got a chip on his shoulder this year uh, for better or for worse and i think this year it, it is uh they're actually my pick spoiler to go the Super Bowl and eventually, unfortunately, win it. I, I, I hate saying that. I can't stand Aaron Rodgers. I can't stand the Packers, but they're a heck of a football team, and they're getting healthy. I saw they're getting a, a Zadarius Smith back and, and a couple other guys. So um, they're getting healthy at the right time, and as a number one seed with with the, that mystique of, of Lambeau Field, number one seed, freezing temperatures. I think that's just too much for a Niners team to overcome that isn't exactly healthy either.
0: And our last game on the divisional round docket, we've got the Buccaneers hosting the Rams. Tom Brady has had an outstanding season despite the injuries. And of course the dramatics with Antonio Brown coming off the field a few weeks ago, then getting cut. It just feels like he's had fifth and sixth string receivers out there for a good chunk of the season. Yet he led the league in touchdown passes, but I think that their journey ends this time around and I got to stop doubting Tom Brady. Cause he always makes me pay, but The Rams, I think the difference maker for them, Cam Akers, what a story, coming back from an Achilles tear. Six months later, he's playing in games, and he looks spry. He's running with power and quickness. I just think the advantage goes to the Rams having a run game to go with Matthew Stafford, Odell Beckham Jr., and, of course, Cooper Cup. I think it's going to be close in Tampa. You never can doubt Tom Brady, but I'm going to say it's a three-point win for the Rams so the NFC West will be represented in the title game, going up against the Green Bay Packers.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in the similar vein. I just think with the the health in question of the Tampa Bay offensive line against arguably the best defensive line, defensive front in football. You know, Aaron Donald, you know, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Greg Gaines, the whole the whole gambit there up front. That's a heck of a, a load, and you could have friggin' Thanos playing quarterback. But if you don't have a run game and you you need you don't have more than two seconds. In the pocket, you're done. You're not going to win. And I don't care who your quarterback is. And, and Tom Brady does about as good of a job as any quarterback to ever has ever lived. And getting rid of the ball quickly when he knows he doesn't have the most quality offensive line. Um, but I just think that this pass rush is, is going to be too much. I'm really liking what I see from the Rams offense. I think they're clicking at the right time. Matthew Stafford um, has a weapons galore. O- Odell Beckham Jr. looks like a whole nother player. That or it looks like the the vintage player we saw with the Giants. Like he just looks like he's been reborn. And and it's that's a scary, scary thing for I mean the Seahawks know, but I think that the Rams have enough weapons along with to score enough points along with that ferocious defensive front to really limit
0: Tampa Bay and come out of there with a victory and head into the NFC title game. It'll be exciting to see what happens. Again, I I can't remember the last time in the divisional round I was this excited, actually, to watch games. And even though the Seahawks aren't going to be playing, you've got four very compelling matchups, a lot of Super Bowl-caliber teams there. So I could see any of these games going either way. All eight teams, very well-coached, talented football teams. It's going to be exciting to watch what unfolds this weekend. We're going to get to our mailbag here in just a moment answering your questions here on our Blue Friday episode. up, fans, I want to tell you about an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called GetUpside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon your first fill-up with the code TOUCHDOWN. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out to a bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. BetOnline would like to wish you a very happy betting new year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year with a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available in 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Big announcement, the Peacock and Williamson NFL show is going on the road to Los Angeles for Super Bowl week. Follow the Peacock and Williamson NFL show today to get the most comprehensive coverage of the big game. It's free and available on all platforms. All right, Nick, it's time for our Blue Friday mailbag segment. Some of our listeners might be wondering, it feels like the mailbag's bouncing around in the offseason. That's kind of the way things go. We find a day that we have a little bit of time left and we answer your questions. So first question here coming from Pete's Air Monarchs. Again, we like getting questions from shoes here on the podcast. How much of a difference will a new defensive coordinator really make? Do you think Pete would ever release some of his control over the defensive scheme and allow a new coordinator to implement their own? Well, I think Pete Carroll
1: actually delegates more than people understand. And I think Pete Carroll is truly a head coach. I think he likes to hire guys who he can delegate to. Obviously, he's going to have his hand a little bit in the cookie jar of defense. That's his thing, especially in the secondary. Now, I'm wondering if maybe he hires a guy that is is a bit more specialized in the interior and in the, in the defensive front or in the front seven, and they kind of combine with their powers combined, make a a, a defense that is wholly a, a playoff caliber defense. What concerns me, that, that question does concern me um, if you hire within. I'm not a big fan of hiring within. Um, I, I think Clint Hurt is a fantastic coach. This is no knock on Clint Hurt whatsoever or any other interior candidate. Um, I just think that this is a, they're at a crossroads where I think they should hire a guy that's, uh, you know, a young up and comer with some ideas, you know, some fresh ideas. Maybe not come, they don't need to completely overhaul the entire system and, and change everything about everything in the defense. I don't think it's that bad. Um, but I, I think it's a healthy business, you know, pra- practice to bring in someone with some fresh ideas. To bounce ideas off each other, and I think Pete Carroll, I, I don't I'm not in his head, I'm not best friends with him, but I think he's smart enough to understand when maybe so and so's idea might be better, and I think that could be a pretty healthy relationship. So that that is a good question, I think, and that that it is concerning if they do hire
0: internally for me. Next question coming from Trevor Tweets. How do you think Cody Barton's cowboy and rodeo experience translates to his success in punt coverage? So that's a great question, Trevor. Now, as far as, you know, there being actual translation from doing rodeo to tackling guys on special teams, I don't think there's any direct correlation between that, but I grew up on a farm and I can tell you that I did some crazy things growing up that, really helped me become a good football player because of the things I did on the farm. I'll give you an example. I used to take these thousand pound hay bales, these round hay bales, and it was Indiana. So it's not like there was a ton of mountains or hills or anything, but our fields, they weren't flat. So I would find areas where I had to try to push those uphill and I would turn them into rolling blocking sleds. And I'll tell you what, that made trying to block a 250 pound defensive tackle in a high school football game feel like a breeze compared to those hay bales. So I don't know that Cody Barton did anything like that, but there's a work ethic thing that goes with being a farmer or being involved with a rodeo that I think does have a translation to all other facets of life. Cody Barton's going to go out and he's going to give you his best because that's the environment that he grew up in. And I think that there's a mindset that comes from that. So I don't think there's a direct translation. It's not like he's going out there with a rope and he's getting a lasso around guys and bringing them down that way. But the work ethic aspect, I think, is something that does have some translation that pays off for him on Sundays. Nicholas Dale tweets, how many round six, round seven and undrafted success stories like Puna Ford and Brian Monet make up for one LJ Collier? That's a really good question. That is.
1: That's a really good question. I think that that's a really thing, tough thing to quantify uh, for me. You know, I just look at it. LJ Collier made about $3 million on the cap hit this year, if I'm not mistaken. Brian Monet made about 850 K. And so, you know, that, that's LJ Collier made three times as much as Brian Monet. Now they're different. They're different uh, players and different fits in the defense, but uh, Puna Ford is making now as much as LJ Collier was individually, but that's because of his extension. But, Honestly yeah I think that that's that salary you know you might need to go two or three times more you know two two to three hits later in the rounds to make up for one you know so so or even bust first rounder I think because that a bust first rounder can be pretty costly and especially for me I I look at the that's you know sometimes drafts just stink for whatever reason some position group that the draft isn't as good as you thought or you know, the, the draft in general just isn't as talent rich. I think in the, it, the last few, the next couple of years here, at least this year and last year, it's a bit tricky with that COVID redshirt that some guys are, 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 a lot of guys are staying in college. And so maybe that the draft pool isn't as, you know, bountiful as it usually is. I don't know if that's, that's a real thing. That's kind of just theory, according to Nick Lee. But, you know, in Collier's case, looking at guys that, that were still on the board when Collier was on, you got Debo Samuel was on the board. I know that the Seahawks probably wouldn't use him in the ways that the Niners have, and boy, he's become a star. And then you got, you know, Pro Bowl offensive lineman, Elton Jenkins in in Green Bay, Byron Murphy, a pretty solid defensive back in Arizona. Um, But yeah, just to to answer the question, I would probably say about as much as the salary, two or three times more. So two to three hits in later rounds and undrafted for every one bust, I think is about fair because it can be pretty costly.
0: I would say that it just depends on how good the undrafted or sixth or seventh round player is. If you end up with an all-pro in the seventh round, then Fair. who cares if your first <laughs> rounder stunk? You ended up hitting a home run. That's really what matters, though, when you're looking at that. Next question here, coming from Pratik Khanna tweets, I feel we have built our roster outside in. We invested on linebacker safeties, receivers Should we make a meaningful investment in the trenches this offseason, even at the expense of other positions? Think Bobby Wagner. Would that make the team better? Well, Prateek, I think that it could if the Seahawks make the right signings because the issue has been not that they have not been willing to go out and get veteran pass rushers. I question the strategy that they've done in free agency, though. And then they get guys like Carlos Dunlap, who they bring back, and then there's games he plays four snaps. So that completely was mind-boggling to me this year. So I don't even know that it's necessarily about them not investing in those two position groups. I feel like the offensive line, they have invested a bit more. They went out and they got Gabe Jackson, who I thought had a solid season, obviously they could go out and get an upgraded center. That was the one position last off season that I did not understand why they did not draft Creed Humphrey. That's ended up being a huge miss so far or signing somebody like Corey Lindsley in free agency that, yeah, he would have cost a lot of money, but would you rather have a guy like that than signing three or four carry hiders that ended up not really doing much for you? So I think that they got to look back at the strategy they've had in free agency, regardless of the positions and Maybe make some changes there. You just went 7-10. and Got to go out and get some difference makers rather than getting a bunch of mid-level guys that are older free agents that maybe they help you, but in the end you might just be burning money, and it feels like that's been something they've done too much in free agency regardless of position group. Next question here from Nemesio tweets, why can't Russell Wilson get rid of the football in less time than 2.7 seconds? Is it a scheme issue or is it a number three problem? Nick, this feels like this is one of those where you could really say, yes, all of the above.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, usually if you have to ask yourself, is it this or is it that? The answer is usually a little bit of both. That, that's usually, no one wants to hear that. That's cliche, but it's because it's true. And this is a, a classic case of that. And I looked back and I had a real hard time finding some release point numbers but Tom Brady in 2018 had a 2.61 second re- uh, release, so that's not significantly better, I think, than Russell. What Russell Wilson was at a 2.7, so maybe we're taking too much stock in that because there's so much information that needs to be processed. You know, between the quarterback taking the snap and actually throwing the ball, and making it in com- completion. I, I know that you know quarterbacks make it look really easy, but there's so much information that is processed, and the good ones do it very quickly. And Russell Wilson is. Absolutely, one of the good ones, and you know what coverage they're in, what routes they're in, and you know if if they're throwing some some a wrench at you that you didn't see before, or they're disguising a the coverage pretty well, and you got to adjust for that mid mid play. You know, there, there's so many things that that are at play here, but you know, for me, it's it is never ending because I believe just about every team is kind of battling this. I don't think this is a Seahawks you know unique issue it's the chicken or the egg thing it's it's really it is one of the, the questions that that every team would wish to answer is how can we protect our quarterback better how can we get the ball out quicker some teams just do it better than other teams and and i'm not saying some some great quarterbacks do it better than other great quarterbacks that's not the one thing that makes a quarterback great so it's going to be a little bit of both it's going to be you got to improve the offensive line you got to improve the blocking scheme you got to improve the communication to pick up blitzes and, and pressures, but yeah, Russell Wilson at times has got to get rid of the dang ball. And we we've been we've been yelling up at Russell Wilson for that since 2012. You know, he he wants to make a hero play, and it ends up biting him. And that's that's we love Russ for for that reason because he can make some jaw dropping plays, but sometimes it also leads to head scratching decisions. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon.
0: We're going to have our first free agency Friday here in a few moments. going to be looking at Seattle's 15 unrestricted free agents, and we're going to be ranking them in tiers. I know Nick and I have been very excited about this. We've been talking about it all day, preparing for the show. But first, it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking this just is not worth it. Where's the chocolate? You don't have that problem with Built Bars, though. They're covered in 100% real chocolate, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. There's so many great flavors to choose from. Salted caramel, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, and they're coming out with new flavors weekly. So check out Built.com often to see what's new. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've been looking forward to this. This is really what we get excited about this time of year. It's free agency Friday, and we like to bust out games and different types of discussions, debates, looking at Seattle's own free agents, outside free agents they might want to consider. We're going to start with the most basic premise here. Nick, we are going to take Seattle's 15 unrestricted free agents, and we are going to put them into three tiers. The first one that we've got is our mission critical tier. This is the must-have group, and you only get to pick three players for it. These are the ones that Seattle cannot afford to lose this offseason, so you and I both get to pick three players for that. Then you've got the the all-about-the-Benjamins division, and These are players you would like to keep. They're valuable, but it's got to be at the right price point. If they get too expensive, then you got to let them walk. You and I can put six players in this tier. And then the call me maybe class. (laughs) They could come back at the right price, I suppose. But if we lose them, not really a big deal. These are the kind of players that are probably going to be sitting by their phone, waiting and waiting, maybe into April or May hoping that somebody will call them and offer them an opportunity to go to OTAs and to training camp. And so we get to put six players into that division as well. So without further ado, we're going to start from the back to the front. Let's start with the Call Me Maybe class. Nick, who are the six players that you picked out of Seattle's unrestricted free agents to put there that, okay, maybe they might come back, but not a top priority or not even a middle priority?
1: Uh, just to list them off, I got Sidney Jones, Ethan Posick, Brandon Shell, Alex Collins, uh, DeMarco Jones, and Robert Canviche and Geno Smith. I believe that is that six? No, um, seven. I was seven. Oh, seven. Okay, sorry. Uh, take out Sidney Jones. I, I meant to put him in the other tier. Um So starting with Ethan, Ethan Posick. So for just to kind of quick notes about each one, you know, Posick, he's not a cornerstone center. And I think the, the Seahawks need to get a cornerstone center, and I, I've said I said it from the beginning: Seahawks need to get a center that is just head and shoulders better than Posick, and uh, they just haven't done it, and that's that's unfortunate. And um, Brandon Shell, another one that you know, before the emergence of Jake Curran, I would have said, you know, probably should put him uh, maybe in the all about the Benjamins uh, tier, but Jake Curran kind of makes him more expendable. So that's another one that I think and is uh is yeah, okay. We, we can lose him, that's fine. Alex Collins, another one, you know, with with the emergence of Rashad Penny. I would I would think everyone can agree that we'd probably rather have Rashad Penny come back than Alex Collins, but um I don't know, maybe maybe there's some Alex Collins stands out there. Um Jamarco Jones was a tough one for me because I like the versatility. Um, but it's just the injury concerns. Just there's there's he just can't stay healthy and uh, uh kim Diche, disappointed you know we we both drank the kool-aid that gave us indigestion and uh didn't do much this year and Gino smith got arrested 96 miles an hour under the influence and resisted resisted uh tests by police i'm done with you we can find another quarterback that doesn't get arrested so that's my list
0: yeah we have a pretty similar list there's there's a couple differences i put brandon shell on my list as well Will Disley is on my list, and I'll explain why here in a moment. Alex Collins, Jamarco Jones, Geno Smith, and Robert Kemdiche. So really the difference is that I didn't have Ethan Posick on my list, and you didn't have Will Disley. So I agree with you on Brandon Shell. If you can bring him back at a cheap price to have him compete against Jake Curhan – for that starting job then cool he did some nice things in the starting lineup but he's had so many issues staying healthy and he's almost 30 years old I just don't see that as a guy that I'm spending much money to bring him back and if I lose him I lose him I feel the same way about Jamarco Jones he's got very good versatility but as you mentioned he's been hurt all the time so the durability aspect not a lot of starts under his belt another guy if he's middle class I'm not paying him middle class money I'm not going to do that and Will Disley, I love him. I love this game. I love the way that he blocks in run and pass protection. I think that he's a better receiver than he has shown the last two years. He just hasn't been very involved in their passing game. But again, Will Disley is a serviceable NFL tight end. The injuries he had early in his career sapped a little bit of whatever athleticism that he had. I don't view him as a player that is must-have to sign, and I don't view him as a player that you'd love to have back that is in that middle category either. I could see the Seahawks bringing him back on a close to veteran minimum deal. They do love him with his run and pass protection stuff, but I I just don't see him as a player that is going to be a huge priority for him. He could definitely be back. I just don't see him as a guy on this list that really stands out compared to a lot of the other free agents. And then you look at the other three players, Alex Collins. I loved what he did replacing Chris Carson. Then he got hurt, just wasn't the same player with Rashad Penny. Chris Carson is supposed to be back. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer did some nice things. You could bring him back on a one-year veteran minimum deal, and there'd be no complaint from me. But I wouldn't be doing anything beyond that to bring him back. And I I just feel like this might be one of those situations where – You just move on and see if you can bring in a younger running back. Oh, by the way, Josh Johnson's there too. I think Josh Johnson's got a lot of upside. I just don't know there's a spot for him at this point. The other two players, Geno Smith, the arrest certainly hurts, but I was going into this thinking they need to be looking for backup quarterback options anyway. Not that he did not play well. I thought he did a good job replacing Russell Wilson, all things considered. But you're always looking to improve that position. You've had three years with him. He's now into his 30s, and then he gets in trouble From a legal standpoint, yeah, I'm looking at other quarterbacks. And Kim D.J., another guy you could bring a flyer on him again if you want to, but he just didn't do enough in the games he played. There were a few nice run plays that he had, had a couple pressures. But really, most of the snaps he played was a non-factor, as he's been most of his NFL career. So I say move on at this point from those guys. All right, let's go to the all about the Benjamins division now. These are players that are valuable. We'd like to see him back in Seattle, but... It's got to be at the right price point. They are not absolutely critical to the Seahawks' success in 2022.
1: Yeah, my first one is Sidney
0: Jones, because I I accidentally put the
1: header down on the wrong one there. Um, if the Seahawks aren't able to bring back D.J. Reed, who, spoiler, I have him higher on this list, then uh, the need for Jones, if they are able to bring back Reed, then the need for Jones isn't as prominent. But either way, uh, bringing him in would, would be nice for depth and competition. You know, always compete. In 77 targets this year, he allowed just two touchdowns and a respectable 84.3 passer rating. So, sir, and, and if they can't get D.J. Reed back for whatever reason, I think they got to bring back uh, Sidney Jones. I think he, he would be a nice piece there. Will Disley, uh, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, I think he's just a, a great, great role player in the run game. And I, I think there's still some untapped ability in the pass game that we haven't seen in the last couple of years. And he uh, serviceable is a good, is a good, uh, a word for him. I just think with how much the, the coaches seem to like him, he there's a fit there with, with the scheme. I, I, at the right price, I would like to see Will Disley back in a Seahawks uniform. And also, uh, Rasheem Green is when I was super impressed with Green's development after a very underwhelming start to his career. He was kind of like the Rashad Penny of the defense. You know, he <laughs> had some really disappointing first few years and then he just came out and, and exploded in some, in some ways. Dude's just still 24 years old, you know, younger than Darius Leonard, T.J. Watt, and, you know, great gains in L.A., younger than those guys. And he's got so much potential and so much room for growth still. Um, And Al Woods is on that list, too. I think he was an excellent player. The only reason why I don't have him on my mission critical list is the age. That's it. Because I think he was an excellent, excellent piece to this defensive front. Uh, 50 tackles, uh, one and a half sacks, drew those double teams. Super valuable. Uh, Gerald Everett, the tight end, and one that I actually didn't expect to have this high uh, to start the year. He started the first six games. He had just 135 yards and one touchdown. Final nine games, 343 yards and three touchdowns, including three games of over 60 yards, 111.7 passer rating when targeted. So he showed some clear value. And I think at the right price, I think that's kind of the, the, the tier we're at here. I think he would be a good fit, again, with the Shane Waldron offense. He seemed to find, ways to, to make an impact in, in a small way. And then the last one for me, I, I'm not sure we did not compare lists. You might have him in the mission critical. My last one for the all about the Benjamins is Rashad Penny. And here's why. And I, I know that this is this, for me, this is like that Paul Rudd gift. Like, look at us. We're here. You know, who thought, who thought we'd be here? Not me. No, I would have, I had cast him aside and now he is I really had a hard time keeping him off the mission critical list. The only reason why he isn't for me is because I, I, I'm i not going to say running backs don't matter because they absolutely do, but there is a price. There is a price that Rashad Penny is not worth it. There's a price for, to me where he should absolutely come back and, and the Seahawks could even argue to have, it, have him be competition for Chris Carson for RB1 next year. He's that talented. He showed that first round talent. You know, he had 671 rushing yards from week 14 on in the NFL. It was that then like a gap size of the Mariana Trench and then Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he was that more than everybody else. So he's my last one in that tier. It was really hard to leave him off mission critical, but I just with running backs and with Chris Carson coming back, there is a price for me.
0: Yeah, looking at my list, it's pretty similar to yours. I did mention I have Ethan Posick on my all about the Benjamins list. And I think the thing for me, I don't view him as a starter, but he is that number six lineman that you absolutely have to have that has started games at both guard spots. He started a bunch of games at center. He can even play the tackle positions in a pinch for you. He is one of those invaluable reserve linemen that I think spot starting is a quality player. I just don't think he is a 16, 17 games a year starter. He's proven that the last couple of years. They need to upgrade the center spot, but I would like to see him back at the right price because of the versatility that he brings to the table. You mentioned Sidney Jones. Yeah, if they don't bring back DJ Reed, I think it's imperative that you bring back Sidney Jones. I'd like to bring both of them back. And you have some cap space to work with. But again, Sidney Jones has had some injuries in his career. Last year was the best he has played for an extended period of time in the NFL. I'm not investing too much money in him. I'm giving him another one-year contract. If I get another really good season out of him, then maybe we can talk about long-term deal. But, I mean, he's in his mid-20s, still a very young player that was a second-round pick. So, you can get him back at the right price, then you would love to re-sign him. Al Woods is on my list here, too. And Like you said, he's going to be 35. He's a nose tackle, a very good player. He was invaluable to their defense in terms of stopping the run. Seattle's got to bring him back, in my opinion. But, again with his age, the position he plays, got to be at the right price. I think he's going to be affordable enough. I don't think you're going to see teams rushing to go sign a 35-year-old defensive tackle and throwing a ton of money at him. I think the Seahawks will be able to make something work there. So he's not in my mission-critical group. And then I've got Gerald Everett, just like you. I have some concerns with the concentration drops because he had those same problems with the Rams but the ability to break tackles after the catch was very evident. He did have a much better last 9 games aside from week 13 the 49ers game that was one of the worst games i've ever seen a skill player have with two fumbles and a botched touchdown reception that turned into an interception for the 49ers. That's a game that i'm sure at this point he has completely moved on from, going to forget it, never think about it again. But he's still a young enough tight end Really good athlete. Feels like year two, if you have a healthy Russell Wilson for the entire season, that those two could really take off in 2022. And for my last one, this is where you and I are a little different. Dwayne Brown is my last one in this list. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, he was horrible the first eight games of the year. I thought he played great the second half, but he's going to be 37 in August. I'm I'm being real careful about how much money that I am paying him. As great of a player as he has been for the Seahawks and throughout his NFL career. I'm being careful. I also look at the free agents. I don't want to dive too much in this, but you have players like Teron Armstead that might be available in March and free agency that are significantly younger and have pro bowl and all pro pedigree. That is a position that I am trying to make a splash potentially in free agency to really upgrade that position and have a guy that can be a foundational piece there. Cause Dwayne Brown, you're going year to year with him. So At the right price, if you can't get one of those better, you know, I don't even know if I want to use the word better at this point, but one of the younger options that has been a Pro Bowl all pro tackle, I just don't want to invest too much money in a player that I do have some concerns. Even with how well he played the last two months, I have concerns about what he's going to look like on the field next year as he continues to get older. So I just can't put him up there in that last list. Now, that leads to our mission critical category. The last three players that you left off. We'll leave it to our listeners to know which players they are. <laughs> Read off your list here and uh, explain real quick why you picked those three.
1: So I did include Dwayne Brown in this list only because there's no clear in-house solution. And that is such a critical position where you know what you're probably going to get with Dwayne Brown health willing. And again, yeah, the, the the health is an issue. The the age is an issue. I keep using Andrew Whitworth as a you know standard, but that might not be fair. Um, and, you know, he's, I think he's 42 or something like that. And uh, I think Dwayne Brown at the end of the year finished strong enough to where I think he merited another one year. I'm not saying, you know, give him a three-year extension or whatever. I'm saying, yeah, year-to-year is a very fair way to put it. He's certainly not the perennial pro bowler he was a few years ago. Um, a lot of wear and tear on the, on the tires. But just with the clear no in-house solution, unless you want to go in the draft. But even then, Seahawks don't have a first-round pick. And you there. this is a pretty decent tackle draft, I think. And uh, maybe the Seahawks want to look at one at 41, but uh, yeah, I I just, for the lack of clear replacement, maybe besides, like you mentioned, free agency, I I put him on that list. And DJ Reed is my other one. uh, Another one. I think he just played excellent. He's, and I think cornerbacks that play are reliable, are are at such a premium. And, and, you know, we all know the numbers, you know, 48.1% completion rate and no touchdowns allowed intercepting two passes, six breakups, in the final 14 games, 48.7 passer rating, one of the best corners in that, in that category in all of football. And I think he should have been a pro bowler. I mean, he was a solid, solid corner. He he had a better year in 2021 than any season Shaquille Griffin had um, with the Seahawks. I think you absolutely got to bring him back because having a solid corner is such a critical part of any defense, especially since you're getting a new DC and you got to get us fortify that defense. And that brings me to my last one, Quandre Diggs. You gotta bring back Quandre Diggs, defensive MVP in my book. Now, considering current production with future upside, he turns 29 this weekend, not yet 30. I think there's plenty of really good football, Pro Bowl football in his future. I think you've got to bring back. You don't. You don't have an opportunity to to sign. You know, current Pro Bowlers or re-sign them back to your team that were on your team last year. And Quandre Diggs is that guy. He's a Pro Bowler right now, and you got to bring him back.
0: Yep, you and I have mostly the same list. The trade-off is Rashad Penny for Dwayne Brown. I just, again, I understand the value thing at running back, but I just look at what this offense looked like the last five games, and I want that, and I know Rashad Penny's had his durability concerns. So that is a risk that you are going to be taking if you sign him to a multi-year contract, but... I think the upside, if he is on the field, outweighs the possibility he might miss some time because that offense, we saw how much having that home run hitting running back changed this offense the last six games. They put up 30-plus points in four of those six games. Cardinals and the same no reason answer. why is number 20. So I think you've got to bring him back. And I, I look at the running back market. I don't think he is going to get – a bazillion dollar contract thrown at him. I think the Seahawks will be able, and I think he'll take a little bit of a hometown discount because they stuck with him. I really think Rashad Penny wants to be here. So he is on my list. you got to have that stud running back that really helps complement Russell Wilson in the passing game. And then I'm with you on the other two. Quadre Diggs, to me, is the most important free agent that they've got. And I know Jamal Adams is making a ton of money. That's a lot of money to pay the safety position in general. But... This position, the free safety position, has been so important in Pete Carroll's defense. I don't care who the defensive coordinator is. You want that ball hawking safety. He's led the team in picks each of the last two years. He had three picks in just five games for him after they traded for him. He has been great every season that they have had him. He's an outstanding locker room guy. He just got hurt in the season finale in a game that didn't matter and is now going to be on the shelf for several months like this guy deserves to get paid by you he has earned that money and he's just an invaluable player so he's number one on my list and then dj Reed's a very close number two you threw out all the numbers this is a guy that when you put him up against the four all pro selections he stacks up and in many categories had better statistics i think the one thing that hurt him was only having two interceptions the entire season i don't know how fair that is but Quarterbacks just weren't completing passes against him. They weren't throwing touchdowns. Once he moved back to the right side after week four, he didn't give up a single touchdown in coverage. He's a reliable tackler. You can move him around. He can play some snaps in the slot. He's returned kicks. I would think if you're putting a bunch of money in him, though, he's not going to be doing that anymore. He's going to be your number one corner. I think that it is imperative that they re-sign D.J. Reed with the way that he has played the last two seasons. He's only going to be 25 this is a young guy just entering his prime. You got to show him the money, Jerry Maguire style. I'm paying some money to get DJ Reed to come back because he's earned it just like Quandre Diggs. Get that secondary solidified. And I think this defense can be very good in 2022. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast and making it your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on all the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as YouTube. Coming up on Monday, Rob Rang and I will revisit what happened this weekend in the divisional round games, and we're going to continue our awards looking at the Offensive Lineman of the Year for the Seahawks in 2021. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the playoff games. Go Hawks.